Ahoy, and welcome back to the World Headquarters of Team Magler, where I, Dan Magler, social worker and life enthusiast, pull back the curtain on mental health treatment and answer your questions on what to do and how to do it and how things work in the mental health world. Um, if you want to ask me a question, my name or my email is daniel.maigler at live.com. Remember, you can ask about anything. My, the only rule about working with me is you are just not allowed to die. Hence the name of the podcast. So today I'm answering a question. One of my former clients reached out to me and she's currently working um, in mental health and a partial hospitalization program. And she asked, how do you not take it home with you when you hear about these really challenging cases? How do you make sure that you can go back and have a normal life and be present with your friends, with your family, and not stay up all night obsessing about whether or not they're going to be safe? And this is a thing that a lot of people who are determining whether or not they want to enter into the profession wrestle with. I had a uh, client and she was absolutely exceptional. She thought she was going to go into being a counselor or therapist, and she was an RA in college, and realized that the direct service was just too triggering for her of her own past experiences. So she kept going um, into where she was and she became a residence hall director and worked at multiple universities and is working at a university right now as a residence hall director where she could have a positive impact on people's mental health, but not be doing as much of the direct service where she was hearing stories and things that were detrimental to her. So I guess for me, um, I have a huge built-in advantage. Uh, there's a great podcast I'll give a plug to. It's called ADHD for Smartass Women. And I think it's for anybody really who's interested in learning more about ADHD. But I love that her focus is on women and how ADHD can be diagnosed and dealt with differently with women. But I love the, her focus on how ADHD can actually be your superpower in some ways. And for me, having ADHD helps me because I can really only focus on one thing at a time. I literally, if I'm working with a client, I can, I struggle to listen and just alphabetically flip through my files to find their file and pull it out. Like doing two things at once is totally impossible for me. They say all people stink at multitasking, that we're almost all worse at it than we think we are. But I know I am, I'm un incapable of multitasking. And so I don't try. So when I'm with a client, they are my world. They're everything. And so if even if I was dealing with a very horrible life scenario that just I was told about and the person left my office, once the new person comes in and sits down, I'm all about whatever's in front of me. And it doesn't mean I stop caring or I've forgotten about that other person's problems, issues in life. It's just I'm a goldfish and boom, whatever the stimulation is. And then when I get home, I'm listening to my kids or my wife or a podcast or the television. And it's when it's late at night and all the distractions are gone, my mind will drift back to what do I do about this situation? And so in those quiet moments, that's when there's more contemplation. I'll get into that in a bit. The other thing for me is that I don't want to leave it all at the office sometimes. I have a tattoo on my forearm of a paw print, and it was based on artwork that was done by a client of mine who uh, died by suicide in May of 2020. And you'll actually hear me do sort of um, advertisements for Paws for Patrick. Well, Patrick was my client, and 
his family courageously started a nonprofit organization to help people with mental health issues connect to animals. Because for Patrick, he couldn't really speak when he was feeling most distressed, but being around his dog, Cece, um, helped him immensely. And so I got that tattoo so that I can't go an hour without thinking about how critical the work that I'm engaged in can be for people's lives. And I never forget that this is for real stakes and real feelings. And it's incredibly important that every conversation with every person matters. I have the tattoo more out of the desire to connect and remember this wonderful young man who got to be a part of my life. And I would not trade my time with him for anything in the world. And so I have said this on Quora and I, they said, I love my clients. And I think that's a risk. I think it can be detrimental to clients in a way if they feel that because my care for them makes them want to please me or be successful or whatnot. But I only know one way of doing this work and that's to be totally invested. And so for me, when something bad happens to one of my clients, it can be devastating. That being said, I am able to leave it at work and trust that my clients are the best experts on their lives and what they need to do. The serenity prayer says essentially, Lord, grant me the strength to change the things I can, accept the things I can't, and the wisdom to know the difference. And I think that's essential. So if I'm awake at night, I'll say to myself, okay, for this particular client who might be struggling with suicidal thoughts or whatnot, is there anything else that I can do for them? Most of the time, the answer is no. I've, you know, done what I can, and now it's up to them to kind of get through that. The pain that they may be feeling, I was talking to a client today who he's had, he was hospitalized earlier this year, um, and he's just sad today. He doesn't, it's like having a broken bone. We need to get his medication adjusted. He's just trying to keep afloat until that can happen. He's experiencing a lot of what we call anhedonia, meaning a lack of pleasure in things that he would normally enjoy. So sometimes a person's not unsafe, they're just sad, and that stinks. But there's nothing else that I can do for him. Uh, he's aware if he needs to talk again this week, he'll reach out, we'll set up an appointment, that kind of thing. Sometimes I could be more aggressive in pushing my clients toward a higher level of care and treatment. The question is, is that, am I doing that for the client's benefit, or am I doing that for my own benefit? Because I'm nervous, and I want to make sure that they're safe. Having worked in psychiatric hospitals, I can tell you this, they don't really make people better. They just make people not dead. So I know that if, if I really shoved and pushed one of my clients and insisted, if I said, I'm not working with you anymore, unless you go get into a inpatient hospitalization or a partial hospitalization program, if they're not ready to be there, they're not going to benefit from it. So unless they're unsafe, unless they're truly immediately unsafe, I may encourage, but I need it to be their decision. That is, though, the great challenge, is when a person I feel like could benefit and they are not ready and they're in that space of, well, they might not be, you know, I, they've, they've assured me that they're not immediately unsafe, but I know that they could get there. Um, and that's the ones in the situations that do um, cause some distress occasionally. But 
If I'm doing my job correctly, I am just a tool for the client to use. I'm just a mirror that exists to show people the angles in their life that they can't see. And they're ultimately making the right decisions for themselves. I try to remember that they made a million decisions before they met me. And they're hopefully going to make a million after I'm no longer in their world. And most of them were good decisions and or if not good, at least didn't end up with them being life-threatening. That people are super balls. They bounce. They're not eggs who crack. That we can trust our clients. That most of the time they know what is right and what is best for them. And when I try to take responsibility for a client's life, I'm taking away their agency. That this is their life, their choice in what they want to do. So the only time I'm going to try to take that agency away is if I feel like their judgment is really impaired. If I felt like I had a friend, if they were really drunk or super overtired, I would take their keys away. I wouldn't let them drive. And being truly depressed at the most critical levels can take away a person's judgment and what we call cognitive flexibility, their ability to problem solve. And so that's what I'm trained to assess. And as long as I don't feel like a person is in that state, I'm just here to help and support. And it's their story. It's their show. I'm just on their show. One of my first jobs out of college was working at Maryville Academy, which was a home for abused and neglected youth. It was a, series, a bunch of group homes on a big campus. And they told us when we started working there that most of the boys were going to either get somebody else pregnant or go to jail. Over 80% of them would um, before turning 18. And it was a little disheartening. But we had to say, okay, even if that happens, just because they go to jail or just because they get someone pregnant, their life isn't over, how can we still be of help? How can we say, like, if we're not shooting for perfect. We're shooting for what's the best we can do to help this person and help support them. That it is, it again, it's their life, it's not ours, and it's not ours to take charge of. So those are the things that kind of help me when I, I, I if I think that it's my job to fix someone, then I'm engaging in sort of the sin of pride. I'm... I'm trying to take over. So reminding myself that I'm not that important. I'm just a tool. And hopefully that I've given them the tools and the information of how to get help if they need it and trusting them to do that and trusting them to know what's right for them. So those are the ways that I keep myself from feeling super overwhelmed. And it does get scary sometimes. And as I say, every time I look at my forearm, I know what the ultimate consequences can be. But I was, I had the advantage of going to a grand rounds and I can't remember, unfortunately, who the speaker was, but he said, if, if I'm doing, if, if therapists are doing the really crucial work somewhere along the line, they might lose a client to suicide. And that doesn't mean they're a terrible therapist. That means they're doing the work where it's most needed. And I, I'm very comforted. I, I like to believe that that's true. I like to believe that it's not a failing necessarily, but it's, um, it's if there are people who are having really hard challenges, we don't have all the right tools to help everybody yet. That's why something like Pause for Patrick is so important to me and getting animals to people who, for whom therapy is not the right modality for everybody. But there is a way to help everyone. That I very much believe. And as I said in a previous podcast, it feels terrible when we don't have the words and we know that nothing that we're saying is helping. But I try to rely on the idea that sometimes just showing up and caring, show up, shut up, and be available can be enough. So thanks for listening today. 
to Not Allowed to Die. And hopefully, again, if you have any questions, email me at daniel.magler at live.com. Until next time, remember, you can do whatever it takes to get you through. You're just not allowed to die.